Listening out there on WBCQ, well, we're glad to have you tonight. Listening out there on shortwave, that's how a lot of us got started on shortwave. And uh, this show is coming up in about 15 minutes or so. It's about ham radio, so you might stick around. Ham radio, shortwave listening, electronics. Uh, stay with us in about 15 minutes when the show starts. But we'd love to hear from you if you're out there listening on international shortwave on WBCQ. Uh, send us an email to Tom at W5KUB.com. Tom at W5KUB.com. Let us know where you are, and between now and the next 15 minutes, we're going to have some more uh, Motown on here for you. Treating me leaves me incomplete. 
sunshine, blue skies, please go away. A girl has found another and gone away. With her went my future. My life is filled with gloom. So day after day, I stay locked up in my room. I know to you, it might sound strange, but I wish it would rain. Listen, I gotta cry, cause crying is the pain, oh yeah. People just hurt, I feel inside. Words could never explain, I just wish it would rain.
I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg, plead for your sympathy, I don't mind, cause you mean that much to me. Ain't too proud to beg, and you know it, please don't leave me, girl. The way you do 
Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's the Amateur Radio Roundtable. Surprise, I'm back. <laughs> it's KDWI7YL here. And tonight is Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. And this is the Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show for those of you who are interested in shortwave, ham radio, and electronics. If you're listening tonight on our world-famous shortwave station, WBCQ, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a signal report and an email to Tom at W5KUB. Let us know where you're listening from. And if you aren't already on our Facebook group, we invite you to join us. We've got about 13,000 hams there now. So come on, join in, be part of our tribe, and have some fun. Just search for W5KUB in the Facebook search, and you'll find us there. We also want to make sure that you do subscribe to our broadcast here. So make sure you click the subscribe button. And if you're not a subscriber or if you already are one, make sure your friends, your family, your dogs, your cats, your parakeets, everybody's subscribed so we can share the love and get everybody out here watching our show tonight. So we're going to pop around. we got a really exciting show tonight. I'm really excited to be back. It's been a little while, but I'm 
irregularly, regularly back and can't wait to visit with you all on the chat tonight and around the room. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it back to our host with the most, Tom Medlin, W5KUB. All right. Well, hey, thank you, Katie, and welcome back, Katie. You're looking good there. Uh, already the chat room is starting to perk up. Everybody saw you. Guys, that's a surprise tonight. If You, you know, we... This was a big surprise tonight. We we told you we're gonna have a surprise tonight, and we're so glad Katie is back with us. So, um, and she's gonna talk a little bit more about that, and she's gonna be back with us more, uh, and we'll find out more about that a little later. But uh, anyway, hey, uh, things are going good here. We got uh, we got a great guest tonight. Uh, Todd McKinney, uh, uh, KN4PPG, is uh, with us tonight. He is the man that. Went all the way down to Antarctica, and he launched the uh, Pico balloons down here. We've got two of the Pico balloons flying that, that carry our call letters. And uh, they're still up and doing great. Maybe he'll give us a little update on that a little later. I know he's going to bring a lot of pictures in and show us. I'm sure it was cold down here. Um, let's see, what else is going on? Uh, uh, hey, next week, uh, Hamcation is going to be here with us next week. And I forget what else. Um we're going to be doing also a segment on SAT. This is a company that has provided us a complete, this is a complete satellite system. And uh, we're going to be uh, uh, testing this thing and hooking it up and doing some videos and show you that here over the next few weeks. And let's see what else is going on. Uh, man, uh, oh, what a little project we're working on. You see it right there. Look at that, man. Look at that. What I showed is it, that? I showed it to you last week. Here's the display. This is a little uh, VFO that uh, is a little uh, retro VFO, and uh, the dial looks like it's an analog dial, but it's really not. It's a digital dial. Uh, I'll show you more of that later toward the end of the show tonight. All right, so, hey, that's it for me. Go ahead, Katie, uh, back to you. Sure, I will um, pop in, and then we'll and I'll work our way around the room to say hi to everybody. And I apologize, I'm at the end of a cold, so I'm a little stuffy tonight, but my best to soldier on through very happy to be back with everybody tonight sorry i've been gone for a while um but i promise it's 2023 it's a new year and i'm going to be irregularly regular now so <laughs> so i should be here on a regular basis and looking forward to lots of good topics and i'm really happy to see my friends here on the show tonight so let me pop over to the east coast to say hi to alan and see how you're doing Righty, hello, hello. Welcome back. Good to see you. I, I've been I've been absent myself for the past couple of months too, but uh, mine's been just uh, work has been got, gotten very very busy. I've been doing a lot of travel for work. Nothing air travel, but just a lot of driving around. So it's kind of kept me uh, you know, out of the round table for a while too. So uh, as luck would have it, I was here tonight during your return. So that's awesome. And being a Jersey boy, I'm thinking of a, a Springsteen song, but it was actually Kitty's Back in Town. I know it's Katie's oh. Back in Town, but we'll have to rename the song for, <laughs> for well, having totally. I'm sure Katie Bruce would be down town. with that. So, uh, but anyway, uh, like I said, work's been keeping me really busy um, and uh, just a lot of work travel and that type of thing. But glad to be back. I uh, have been playing some ham radio, uh, something a little bit new to me that I kind of got uh, infected with a bug. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. I'll talk about it a little bit later on after we... Uh, if we have some of our other topics here, but uh, some fun amateur radio operating stuff we'll talk about. Back to you, awesome. Katie. Awesome. That sounds great. Looking forward to hearing about your adventures. Let me go down south to my friend Glenn. Hey, W5TP, how are you, Glenn? 
Oh, I'm doing really good, Katie. It's nice to see you back. Um, been a while. I missed my partner in crime, but I, um, <laughs> I did finish the latest Arduino book for ARRL, and they've got that, so we're working forward on that. But here's a little bit of news from my side. I've kind of leaked it to a few folks, but don't think it's been totally public yet. Uh, I am now also writing another Arduino book for the Elector folks over in Europe. Oh, yeah, we're going to be doing a series of books with them as well as a couple more with ARRL. And this is why I need to retire in a couple months. So I have time to write. Well, now that you've had your, you know, big birthday, you can. Yeah. Glenn, Glenn and I are almost twins minus a few years in a day. But <laughs> yeah. since we he had his birthday on New Year's Day and mine was New, Year, New Year's Eve. So happy birthday to us and yeah. everybody else out there. Yeah. And you're cuter, but that's okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you should see the other room. I have been organizing and cleaning this place from top to bottom. Um, I think the count is a thousand pounds of Ikea stuff. Oh my gosh. And have assembled all of that and reorganized. And I think the count is up to, I think it's 65 of these storage boxes to organize things in. Um, But the good news is the lab's nearly done, and I came very close to getting the rigs put back up on the shelf today. Awesome. We're coming back online, too, but I look over on the desk over there, and it is already a foot and a half thick with notes for the next book. Wow. Well, that's awesome. You're doing your thing, right? Oh, gosh, I'm having fun. Yeah. That's good. Why well, do it if it's not fun? Besides the fact, that, of course, you get paid to do it, but it's always no, handy no, if you there, can. You don't make money writing books. It might pay for the hobby, and that's about it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right, let's see. And uh, let me pop down to Bill. Say hi to Bill. UBA to ELK. It's good to see you, Bill. How have you been? Uh, it's great to see you, uh, Katie. Uh, <laughs> been busy launching rockets around the world and around the moon, so... Uh, been having fun with that this fall and uh and uh, we had minus 20 degree wind chill here the other weekend so uh yeah please keep that back door of wyoming closed <laughs> so we didn't do draft down here we actually got snow in alabama which shut the place down for several days oh just gosh yeah so it just completely and all the bread and milk is gone on the shelves so right um, and then, uh, of course, I've been helping uh, get things ready for Todd's adventure. Todd can for TPG. He'll be talking about his efforts where that felt warm compared to where he went. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, 20 below for us is not that big of a deal, but I'm excited to hear our guest tonight talk about his adventures in Antarctica. That would make Wyoming look like a tropical paradise. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, Todd McKinney is CAN4TPG, and he's our guest tonight talking about his adventure down in Antarctica, and we'll, Tom will bring him on here in just a minute. So now that we've worked our way around the room, I'll just let you know a couple of things with me. We've been working on um, continuing to grow our club here locally, the Devil's Tower Amateur Radio Club, and uh, we actually have a meeting this Saturday. But the last time we got together, we built a kit, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we had of our club members who've been hams for decades had never done this before 
And of course, we don't have one here in the shack right now, but it's a little right. It was just a little radio FM receiver. And so we were able to talk about basic, basic electronics. Oh, do I see the boat? Fetch one. And, um, and soldering. And so everybody, we had this list from like eBay or something. It was, I think we spent all of like $19 each to build this thing. Oh, perfect. So, um, so this was our first adventure, this little guy. I don't, do you want to pipe in where we, where you figured out where to get all this stuff from? Oh, Amazon. Sorry, but. I mean, I'm not going to try to play it right now, but it was really, everybody was just amazed how well this picked up radio stations and like loud. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. So everybody agreed that we really like doing some hands-on stuff. So if any of, any of you out there who have are in clubs, um, club leadership and looking for ideas or something new or fun to do, you know, take a look at, there's so many kits out there, but this one was super easy. We spent maybe two hours. We could have done it a lot faster, but we are walking through it with people who've never soldered before. And, um, you know, having some hands-on stuff is a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, that was one thing we did recently. And then um, I'm really excited because I'm taking on a new uh, volunteer role. I was um, I sent in my resume and was interviewed by the um, ARDC and was invited to join the Grant Advisory Committee. So I actually am participating in our first training and meeting this week. So, um, and they just posted the you know, news release about the new membership. And I will put that in our chat if anyone wants to um, figure that out, if I can find my, sorry, I got to get back in the swing of things here. So I'm really excited about that because um, the ARDC gives away uh, about a million and a half dollars a year or more um, to ham radio clubs um, to different groups that are doing a lot of electronics, um, some clubs that are growing their outreach. Um, one of the recent ones was here in our area, the Rocky Mountain Ham Radio um, Club. They um, linking repeaters across three states. And so they were helping to fund some of that using their different uh, digital technology. And um, so really neat stuff. So if you check out um, alphamikepopperradio.org um, and check out their latest news, you can see. And then um, we'll be having information coming up for the grant uh, schedule, and anyone can apply for it, any uh, ham radio clubs out there. So it's pretty exciting. Um, and then let's see, post that in the chat for everybody. And that's about it. Other than I've, I've had some health issues this past year. Um, as I've mentioned in the past along the way, I have Crohn's disease. Anybody who's ever heard of that or knows somebody who lives with it, it's, a, it's an inflammatory bowel disease. And... Um, over the years, I've had different issues with it. This past year put me in the hospital a few months ago, and I was at Mayo Clinic um, just a few weeks ago, and I'll be heading back there in a couple months for surgery. So I'll be on and off, on and off regularly on the show, but um, getting back in touch with my ham radio friends and doing things like this really helps me feel a lot better mentally, and that always helps me feel better physically. So doing my best to you know kind of get back in the swing of things again and appreciate that everybody's still here and watching the show and uh, looking forward to diving into a lot of fun topics here. So with that, let me pass it back to Tom so we can hear from Todd. I'll stop talking. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. <laughs> and uh, we're glad to have you back, man. That was a, it was a, it was a big surprise. I think to a lot of people, they've been looking for you for weeks and weeks. And uh, here we are. We surprised them tonight. 
we're just we're grateful that uh, you're back with us and uh we're looking forward to having you with us a lot more and we uh we're all thinking about you and praying for you and you're going to get through that surgery i think just fine in march and uh you'll be back with us with that big smile all right so uh does anybody out here hear my chair squeaking let me see if you can hear this you can't hear it okay katie says can't hear it okay well, I was afraid I was uh, interrupting you guys. It was squeaking a whole lot. Okay. Um, all right. Well, hey, we're going to get in uh, to the uh, uh, discussion there with Todd in just a minute. Uh, let me uh, just uh, start the conversation. Just let everybody know uh, that uh, uh, we have actually four Pico balloons up right now. And uh, Todd launched two of these for us when he was down in uh, Antarctica. We were so happy to, to, to get them launched down there. Um, I want to show you just real quick uh, where our four balloons are. not going to get into any detail uh, on the, the Antarctica ones because I want uh, Todd to talk about that. But uh, if you look at this, uh, we've got uh, W5KUB-112 flying right here and he has been flying now for uh 200 i think 212 days let's see let me go down there we go he's been flying for 213 days 12 hours look at that and then the, the uh w5kub 113 which is following him has been up 96 hours i mean 96 days and then of course the ones that todd launched for us have been up 55 days and 49 days so I want to look at this just again real quick here and show you what happened here. Normally, when we launch a balloon, for instance, if we're in the northern hemisphere, it flies in the northern hemisphere. And it rarely, rarely, one out of probably a thousand, might go into the southern hemisphere. So we launched 113, and look, it went down into the low end into the southern hemisphere in fact it's down right now right here uh just west of uh uh south america and uh it's um it's kind of trying to inch back up you can see it's getting close to the equator there but it dipped very low i think it went below uh uh australia and then then todd launched two of them for us which he'll talk about one was this one here that's now has broken away from uh, Antarctica and has gotten up as far as uh, uh, Australia. And then our other one, our other one, it's just, it seems to be hanging in. And I'm really curious why this one keeps hanging in over, uh, over uh, Antarctica. Maybe Todd can tell us why uh, in a little while. But uh, that's kind of where we are with our balloons. We haven't launched any in a long, long time because we, all our call letters are tied up right now. And, in existing flights. So let's do this. Um, anyway, let me do one thing and get this over, and uh, and then we could won't get have any interruptions here in a few minutes. So hey, I'll be back with everybody in just a minute. So just uh, stand by with us. Happy New Year from ICOM. Didn't get everything on your wish list? Spice up your ham shack with one of ICOM's popular handhelds, mobiles, or base stations. These radios are perfect for working your favorite bands while staying inside or venturing outside in the winter. The IC705 is a perfect sidekick and QRP companion. Base station features and functionality at the tip of your fingers in a portable package covering HF, 
6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in just over 2 pounds. With RF direct sampling for most of the HF bands and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. The ID52A is a VHF UHF dual bander with D star and FM dual mode functions. And it's the first handheld amateur radio with a full color 2.3 inch waterfall display. This radio supports conventional FM communications and D star simplex, repeater, regional, and worldwide calls over the D star internet gateway. You can send pictures over D star with a connected Android device. Create your own band openings with the IC9700. This transceiver radio brings direct sampling to your UHF VHF weak signal world. This all mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. It has faster processors, higher gain input, and higher resolution. The IC7300 is a high performance HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. This transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 changed the way entry-level HF is designed. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM Radio. Alright, so, I'll bring Todd in here in just a second, but let me say this. Uh, in my job for 30 years, I traveled every every couple months. I was either somewhere like in Asia or Europe or South America. And let me tell you, uh, check the Australia. That's like a 24-hour trip. I mean, these are some massively long days getting where you want to go. But I bet it's nothing like getting down to Antarctica. So I want to hear from uh, Todd how he got to Antarctica and, uh, you know, how was the trip? Did you have a first-class seat? Come on in here, uh, uh, Todd. All right. Well, thanks, Tom, for having me on again. Uh, great to be here. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was quite the trip to get down to Antarctica. Um, I'll actually tell you, I flew out of Huntsville um, to Atlanta. So Huntsville to Atlanta, first flight. Atlanta to um, Munich, Germany. Munich, Germany to Bremen, Germany. Um, then quarantined a little bit. You know, they were really strict, making sure no one had COVID when they went down there. That would be a disaster if the station got COVID. So quarantine before then. Um, then we got on a charter flight. I think we landed in Oslo um, first to pick some people up. Uh, we were actually ferrying some other scientists as well. So people from different backgrounds on that um and then we stopped in chad africa to refuel chad africa to um, cape town africa stayed in cape town for the night um made sure we didn't have covid then got back on uh cape town to troll station antarctica that is a kind of like connecting flight i guess you could say basically just a airfield in the middle of nowhere in antarctica um the boeing Landed right on that ice, so it was really impressive. Um, and then Troll Station in a little, uh, took a little cargo fixed-wing aircraft to uh, Niermeyer Station. So we actually landed right on the ice. The, the plane had skis, which was kind of fun. Hmm. So we landed right on the ice, and there we are at, at the station. And basically how I got back as well. So it so, took a total uh, week to get there. <laughs> so it took a week to get there? Yep. Oh, man. Between all the flights. Yeah. 
it was wow. it was long but uh it it was pretty pretty incredible it was a lot of great sights I'll, i can i'll show some photos yeah um, look yeah really yeah. i'm looking forward to any the pictures and stories that you got there yeah yeah let me, let well, me you, hey were you time. ever in any like white out blizzard type weather or was it pretty um yeah i mean there was a few days when it was just white out and nobody could leave the station because you can't see in front of you but um but i think it's important to know it was the summer down there so you know you think about it being really really cold um but the average temperature was only negative five celsius uh so negative five degrees below celsius um what would really get you is when it'd be windy so you'd have really high wind chill um but the uh the smoking gun was, you know, the big, what we call a Tempex, the polar clothes you wear. Um, you know, it's so thick, you go outside, um, the, the ozone layer is very thin down there. So the UV index is so high. So what ends up happening is you end up getting really, really warm, especially in the summertime down there, really quick, and you sweat your big Tempex because hmm. it's so... There's so much UV down there. You can't even really go out there without sunglasses. All that snow reflecting the, you know, the light back into your eyes. You can actually get sunburn on your eyes. So you have to wear sunglasses outside. Yeah. Were you? Were you? You were in an admin. Were you at Edmonds and Scott, or were you at a different station? Uh, I was at the German station, Neermeyer station. Oh, okay. So that's where they run the uh, the Whisper station, actually, down there. So. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I've got the I've got the card from AC4 AAA from oh, wow. Edmonds and Scott and. Actually, I have a friend that was actually down at Edmonton Scott this summer as well. But uh, but if you weren't there, then you probably wouldn't have crossed paths with yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's funny. Um, well, it's not really funny, but the uh, I heard the American base, um, they got hit with some COVID problems recently. So um, mm. they actually had to shut down a lot of projects coming out. So if I went to the, to the U.S. base, I would have been told, no, you can't come. So I think it was a good choice to go to the German base instead. But yeah, Tom, I can show some pictures if you let me share my screen. I'd, yeah, you know, to yeah, let's do up. that. Uh, let me, let me turn the on. Did you get any cabin fever or anything while you were down there, Todd? Um, maybe towards the end. I mean, it was uh, you know, it was just like it was almost. It, like living in my first semester of college because i had two other roommates um and uh but they were really nice but i mean of course you know, when you're home you're gone for a month from home all your friends so um but i mean then again it was so amazing i kind of was sad when i left very unlikely i'd ever have that experience again so meeting all those people and the group we hung out with at the station it was you know, very unique so but anyway so let me show some photos uh this is actually um i can cycle through these yeah this was leave, leaving cape town uh uh so um this is just some photos out out the window i made sure to take a lot of plane photos so um but let me my first view of the ice was a uh, good photo right here so this is what you see here is this is the sea ice right here. And then you actually see the main you know, ice of Antarctica right here. So this was arriving there. So that's really, really cool. So it was really cool to look out the window and slowly see the ice, you know, mm -hmm. 
just little by little, like the ice got bigger and bigger until you were there, which is cool. Um, so, uh, and then this is, you know, right when we're about to fly over it. So you can see, I mean, it's big chunks breaking away and, uh, it's, it was really beautiful. Every, everyone had their eyes outside. Um, and then this is actually, so what's interesting about troll station is it is, um, part of Antarctica where there, there's actual land, you know, some parts of Antarctica, it's all frozen, you know, you're over water. Um, Nearmeyer station was all on the glacier. So there was no, um, you know, solid dirt ground underneath the station itself is on the glacier and then below the glacier is you know the ocean water so this is the only place i went where you know there was actual i want to say dirt in antarctica so they had really you know jagged mountains coming up and um which was really cool uh so we uh i got a lot of these photos these mountains are really beautiful going in uh it's really really great views out of the plane um so we landed and literally uh, we got out right on the ice. Literally, that was it. So we're all dressed in our Tempex clothes and uh, everyone got out. We all helped unload luggage, passing it out. So, and it was really funny. Right when you got off the uh, plane, you know, the air hit you like it's so cold and dry. It kind of hits you like a truck. Um, oh, uh, so yeah, this is the landing. Literally, there's the, the luggage. Um, well, it's really funny. Troll Station probably had the best Wi-Fi I've ever had, surprisingly. Ooh. So they actually had a Wi-Fi to charge. Um, so, so, yeah, so this was that troll. Um, it's a station. Oh, yeah, so this is the uh, plane that took me to the station. You can see the skis right here. Uh, Looks like a DC-3, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, it was a loud plane, I tell you what. They handed out earplugs. Very, very appreciated. So this is us loading all the luggage into the... I, I, I just love it. It's, it's completely different than an actual airport where it's like processing. Like, once you're there, it's just like, we're on the airfield, just get everything and go. Nothing really for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so these are some really good photos out, outside of the snow. This is actually caused by wind on the snow. You can really just like the tops. See where the wind has carved out the ice. Hey, Todd, so, do, you, do you guys yeah. have a weight limit for like how much luggage you can bring? Yes, so we were given a weight limit. I think it was 30. But yes, we were given a weight limit. And it's funny you actually mentioned that. Uh, on the Boeing, they actually, before takeoff, they told everybody to rearrange and sit in a different place. The plane was too. <laughs> so many people had brought so much like camera equipment and you know, our balloons, right? That's got to make balloons I brought. So. We, uh, so yeah, there was a weight limit because you don't want to crash. And we also weight limit that you had to carry with you at all times an emergency flight bag. Everyone was required to have a bag with like a tent, emergency supplies. And that was also included in the luggage. Emergency. So 
that was really, really but um yeah so i have a lot of these i, I just love the view outside the window. All right, so it's the station. So this is right landing. Right on the runway. The runway is literally right next to me. Really nice. So we landed there. This is funny. Uh, there was actually penguins on the runway. They had to get off. So, I have a lot more. Um, so this is getting off. Do this. I think this right here is the big uh, satellite. They actually have a satellite. Fifty four internet at the station. Actually, so they all have their own. It went in and out. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes you could all over the place. Um, so some other photos. This is actually the last sunset season. So it, down there, because it's the summer, uh, it's are polar day. Sunset. So this actually is the last sunset. Polar day. So It's really, really, really. Look out there, nothing. All I see. Straight up. In the um, so these pods right here are actually other people stayed. I, I actually stayed in the station, but the film crew there for There was a Netflix TV and an Apple TV. Um, and then this is right here. This is a greenhouse. It's, they called it Eden ISS was a experiment to kind of simulate if you had a greenhouse on the International Space Station. They actually, uh, this is gone now, so the people there were actually there part Project M. Last time they're ever going to have they actually Hey, Todd, Todd, um, yeah. real quick. Could you, um, if a couple of people in the um, chat are saying they're having some breakage with your, and having a hard time with the audio, mm-hmm. can you just maybe scoot your mic yeah. just a little closer? That might, hopefully that'll help. We'll try that, yeah. guys. You guys hear me okay? Am I breaking up for you? I'm hearing it okay, but okay. people in the chat were more. Gotcha. I think Alan was hearing okay as well. It's yeah, okay. I'm hearing you fine. It's just the YouTube feed. Yeah, okay. it's probably the sharing. Um. All right, so hopefully people can hear me better. Um, so, yeah, this is actually the top of the station. So I had access to the top because I did all my uh, – actually, the balloon fill station is up on the roof. So I spent a lot of time up here again the last sunset. Um, I also spent a lot of time – this is really funny. Uh, this is the meteorological lab, and I think it got lost in translation between Germans. So uh, this is where I spent a lot of time as well. So <laughs> I thought that was really, really fun. Like the text working in the So, um, so this is another good photo. This is the sun going back up. This right here is actually the water is out here. So these are icebergs. 
um, in the water. So we Nehemiah Station is actually right, basically on on the coast, I guess you could call it. And they have a lot of marine sciences experiments going on, a lot of biology. So we literally could just go out to the you know, the border between the glacier and the the ice. Get on the sea ice, literally, um, which is really really cool. Um, this is really neat. So the station itself is actually on um, stilts. So uh, the snow rises a meter every year. So in order to keep the station from being buried, they have these hydraulic lifts that will actually lift the station up, um, which is really neat. Sometimes you'd be waking up by the station being jerked upward because they push it up to keep it from being buried, which is really cool. So that's how they keep it moving with the glacier that is slowly moving and going different places. So really, really cool. All right, so some balloon stuff now. So this is really neat. I think balloon enthusiasts are going to like this. So this right here is the balloon fill station. So they do a balloon launch every day at 11 o'clock UTC time. They launch at 11 UTC. And what you're seeing right here, this is really cool. I was amazed. This is a self-filling uh, uh, balloon station. So what you do is you put the balloon on this little metal thing right here. And what you do is if the amount of lift you want the balloon to pull up, you just put these weights on here. So let's say you want to lift you know, 3,000 3, grams or something. And put that amount on there. And it will actually fill up the balloon to the point where it's pulling that. And it will actually cut off the helium. So you get the right for your lift measurement. Every single time. It's incredible. So, really nice station. Um, and the way I filled the Pico balloons, if you can probably... Oh my gosh, Tidy, how'd you put the Pico balloons tiny things like that? I got a little bag, and I put the bag over the, the tube, and then I attached the tube, uh, the small fill tube, to the bag. So, it almost created this little... Uh, uh, its own little attachment. So, uh, it worked out really well, actually. It was really cold up here. There was no heating, but uh, that's where I did all the filming. So, all right. So this was really fun. We uh, did ski doo training. I was driving ski doos around, flies down, had ski doo lessons. And then this right here is the first balloon. So this is it all filled up. This was actually the uh, K4UH-3 balloon, the APRS only tracker that I wanted to fly to get higher lift higher resolution tracking before I did all the whisper flights. So this was the first balloon, so it's pretty nice. And then right here, this is a, these are the sounding ones, so the big boy balloons. Um, I think this one was, they also do um, ozone sound launches, so to, you know, to measure the ozone. I, I think this was one of the ozone uh, balloons. This one's pretty big. So uh, this is Marcus uh, right here, and this is Delalia right here. So there, he's the meteorologist on station down there. Um, they they're called overwinterers. Um, Marcus and uh, Lelia stayed there for 14 months. That's their overwinter. So 14 months living at the station, doing their all their stuff. She's actually a um, geo, I think like a geophysicist or something, something to do with the magnetic uh, poles and something like that. And then Marcus is the meteorologist. So they're really, really, really helpful. Um, here's some more of the Pico balloons filled up. One of these, I think, is 
one of the, I think this is the W5K-14, uh, uh, I yeah. think that was one of them. 14 was the first one. Yeah, yeah. So um, I launched 14 with K and 14 that one. So mm -hmm. those are the two together. I really like launching two at once. You get to watch them separate, right? See how long they stay together. Um, some other photos. Oh, this is living in style. So this is the lounge room. They have a pool table, foosball, um, coffee bar, uh, all sorts of stuff. So, oh, open bar. You can't, got to have the open bar, right? Make your own drink. Um, let me go to, uh, want to show you all the, so that's one of the ozone songs, some videos. So this is really, so this is launching in a really windy day, one of the latex So, yeah, I think it was like 40 knots that day. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> so, that was, so this is kind of white out uh, conditions. It's not that white out, but uh, that was, that was really fun to, to watch. And then this is, uh, this is where I did most of the launches right outside, just on the station. You can see I have one of the trackers on the box. It's waiting there against sun. Um, I, I liked launching because uh, I like to have the station in the back. Um, so, uh, trying to find, I think the videos are all of them. Um, let me go to, so just a lot of good photos. Oh, okay. This is, I'll, I'll go through these quick. But this is, uh, this is interesting. So this is the actual glacier, and then this is the sea ice. So you can see there's a, there's the separation right that's where we walked down to go see um, some special friends. So these are the penguins. Oh, they're so um, So we were literally like 10-minute drive away from, from the, the, the herds. Um, that was really weird. So a lot of selfies. And they, once you sit down, they just walk right up to you. Very, very so that was really fun. Um, it's actually my roommate right here. Kind of, you just sit down. They come up and say hi. Um. So let me get to. I have a lot of penguin photos. This is actually the. If you have ever seen a rig like this? That this is NASA. Beautiful, beautiful. Drive on the ice. The tires are barely inflated. Um. So we actually had a tropical party for somebody. <laughs> This was a fun night, a birthday party. Um, oh, this is a great photo to compare. Uh, if anyone asks what a Pico balloon is, just show them this photo, right? The latex weather balloon, and then this is one of the super pressure balloons. So big difference, right? But you would see it. You would guess, like, oh, which one stays up longer, right? Probably everyone. Um, all right, so let's get to a video. I think this was... So Marcus helping. So this is one of the launches. Tom, I'll share this uh, Google Drive link with you. Okay. So all this folder that has everything cool. in it. Download. 
Well, one, one thing about it, you, you don't have to worry about the, the antenna or the string getting tangled up in any grass. Oh, yeah. 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 That is definitely true. I tell you what, though, uh, I tried launching at, a, with, I think, around 12-knot winds. I was going to try it, um, and it was a disaster. I'm glad Bill packed an extra antenna for Skytrack because uh, it, it was, what happens is it's not just wind. Uh, it's sustained gusts. That's what will really get you. So if you're holding the balloon, the balloon just keeps being pushed. You know, it's very different from launching up here where the wind is like, you know, sometimes you'll, it'll be like a thermal. Sometimes it will be quick and it'll go away. And then you have a nice window, you launch it, it goes up. This is just constant. Like if it's 12 knots out, it's blowing 12 knots all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's no in between. <clears throat> so that was the struggle. So all the days I successfully launched were below maybe five knots see there's like no wind very good day um but it was uh and the cloud layers uh i only launched if the cloud layer uh the thickness below 500 actually that's a nice one very nice <clears throat> i mean it was yeah i'll send all i'll send this everybody um this is a good photo oh so we also did a uh, science talks it was Marcus like I gave a talk on this is uh we actually had to raise one of the instruments that was getting too high so. I think it was 20 knot winds that day. Not fun. <laughs> um, more penguins. We went, I went and saw the penguins a lot. Uh, oh yeah, so this is this is where I live. Literally like a college dorm. Nothing to it. And then this is actually uh, leaving. So still have more photos to upload, but this is actually the station. Thought it was nice enough to like fly around. There it is, right at there, and then that's the ice. Literally, it drives you. Um, here's the cockpit. Um, so back at Troll Station, this is the Boeing that would take me back to keep prop. That's all it is, just right up. And that was back. Oh, I have some more right here. So this is a balloon right after launch. See it right there, that little dot? <laughs> it's a pretty good photo. And uh, I, I'll send these to Bill. This is some grass. Sky tracker. Yeah, so this is another launch. I do have another video I have to upload where I took it from the roof. I had a tripod of the camera on the roof of the station filming down below. Um, so I need to upload that one. I, I do a lot of these runnings. Got to get it up. <laughs> All right. Well, that's kind of 
most of the photos. I hope it didn't take too long, but no. I mean, it was a lot, <clears> and uh, <throat> it was a pretty amazing experience. A lot of great people, a lot of great memories, a lot of great science, right? So still balloons flying. That's what's really cool to go to bed right there and say, still a balloon flying around. So, Todd, how many did you launch all together, and how many are still flying? So, say, gosh, I think I have it in my logbook. I think I launched eight. Um, the last two, uh, we tried to do one of those, uh, I don't remember, the 10-meter tracker bill, you called it the Franken-track. I think that had some issues with GPS. Uh, so, but it's still flying. It pings every week or so. Never gets a it GPS. It pinged uh, about uh, oh, five days ago. Yeah, so it's and it was there. it was south of uh, uh, McMurdo. It was probably two hundred miles south of McMurdo. Last yeah, yeah, it's and the GPS uh, has got issues and uh, with yeah, the, I think uh, that GPS antenna wire was a little I don't know, it's unpredictable. So. But the other one we launched on that day, that was the cam uh, 4 ya um, yeah, That went down. I think that leaked. That might have been a faulty balloon. Because it floated for a little bit and then came down. So it makes me think it was... Uh, usually when they float, and they stay up for a little bit. That uh, was the only failure you had on launch day. Yeah. And then you lost K4 UIH-2, which was cam 4 LVC. Yeah, that was a. You lost that in a storm, I believe. Yeah, that was in a tropical storm. That was up for I think thirty-three. It was up for a month, so that's good. But uh, the rest are still fine. We have five up right now, I believe. Um, I've actually I've taken a break from looking at pico balloon stuff yeah. since I've been back. I've I've I spent a so month well, looking at actually the... six still flying if you count the ten meter. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um. And, uh, yeah, and, so. And how, what was the farthest towards the equator that they got? I know one of them got pretty close to the equator. I, yeah, I think it was like two degrees from the equator, and then it kind of backed out. I think that was one of the W5K. Yeah, yeah, it's been up. I thought it was going to cross and go up into the northern, but uh, it, yeah. it, it, it turned back just right below the equator. Yeah, yeah 114 yeah. was heading that way. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> 14's over Australia right now. That's fun. It's really fun, though. I, I, uh, I'm happy to say, and I don't know if you can say this too as well, Tom. Um, I've flown a balloon over every continent. That's good. Uh, that's amazing. Cool. That's a cool thing to say. Um, next step is to go to every continent. Yeah. Flying a balloon over every continent. Hey, I've got a suggestion that you might want to send the cannon for a thought. Yeah. That will be a little different, but launch it from launch about 10 of them from the equator and see which ones go to the northern hemisphere and which ones end up in the southern see, Yeah. See how many go each direction. Yeah, that would be... That and it'd be, be a lot warmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, talking about what Tom said with the balloon that crossed the equator, if you actually do the math, um, it's actually a whole study on this. People have done studies based on how radioactive particles, knowing the sources of like radioactive particles, Actors, um, quantifying how that those radioactive particles go from the north hemisphere to the south hemisphere, because there's more like reactors in the north hemisphere. So your sources can estimate how long it takes the air to get to the south hemisphere. 
because you know the radioactive decay rate of all the particles. So, and what they found, if you do all the calculation, the air it takes a year from uh, air from the north hemisphere to go to the southern. So the fact that Tom had the balloon go to the, uh, the south hemisphere is very rare. So it usually takes a year. So if you have a balloon up for a year, you're, that's most likely uh, how you'll get to the south hemisphere. Well, it's definitely the something has been a little crazy. Uh, my friend, uh, AA6DY, uh, Michael, up in Chicago, uh, launched one of these uh, a couple months ago. And uh, last month, it actually crossed the uh, equator, and it went down to Argentina. So yeah. that's yeah. two I know of, uh, but that's the only two. that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's rare. It really uh, and is. it'll be right off of Tierra del Fuego, on the southern tip of Argentina, Chile. You'll see NOB-14. That, that was launched from Germany? That, that was launched almost a year ago from Germany. Yeah. And it's been in the southern hemisphere for yeah, and what I'll actually show you, and this is, this is really interesting. So what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to probably do a paper on this, is um, quantifying, like, whisper uh, propagation. Uh, really interesting. This so, site is that these are plots. So, Todd, I, of, I, brought, I brought you back to your video. Let me see. You got, you, yeah. you got a, a picture you're going to bring up now, right? Give yeah, me, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm showing up. a really uh, a website. So this right here, this is actually the... Uh, Paying for a TPP balloon, and what you're seeing right here are these maps, graphs. Uh, you have spots total throughout the whole flight. Uh, you have the distance, the max distance that the signals travel. So what whispers? And these are my favorite plots right here: the distance in kilometers versus time of day. You have like a. So you can see over the flights, uh, you can actually look at how far your signals have traveled based on time of day, um, and how many spots you have made. So um, there's going to be a really cool study. I'm probably going to use your data, Tom. Right before whisper. I'll just on there. Um, I'm going to use all that data to show propagation. Northern Hemisphere versus the Southern. So, um, cool. It's going to be really, really cool. So um, you can, this is a real, I don't know if you all know about this website. Whisper.live. On it. Put in any call sign you want. Actually, signal. So, actually, let me look at your call sign. What's what are you flying on the? Uh, well, W5KUB is is one twelve. Okay. Uh, it's uh, been a little erratic though, as far as the two different. Yeah, the, the, the strongest one is one thirteen. One thirteen is. Yeah, look at 113. Because you got that amplifier on that. 113 one. is 100 milliwatts. Yeah, what's the whisper calling? It's a K, uh, it's a, a AC5CM, Alpha Charlie 5, Charlie Mike. So I this is this is right here. This is, uh, let's actually go back. How long has that been in the air? Been in the air 90, uh, let's see. Uh, it can't 96 days. So look at this. So this is right here. Um, this is all your whisper data from that that balloon. Really cool. You can actually see the sun cycles really well. You can see the transition into summertime. Have more uh, distance. 
far they propagate. Um, so I'm going to do a lot of really cool uh, data analysis. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for launching that for me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so back to the balloons. Yeah, it went really well. Uh, the meteorologist down there is really helpful. Let us use helium. Um, so we you know, were able to... Every, I think we couldn't have had a better test rate. I was amazed at just how far the reception, while the balloons were almost near the South Pole, they were being received on the other side of the world, antipodal, in Alaska and all across the United States, Europe, uh, China, just all these you know long distance. Uh, you know, 12,000 mile contacts uh, being received on just 20 milliwatts. That's yeah, impressive. I uh, mean, what, what's really amazing, Bill, is if you actually look at the Nearmeyer Station whisper station, that you know, is transmitting at way higher power, much, much more than the trackers. We were sending signals farther than them, which <laughs> is a really kind of weird concept to think about by, like, if you increase the altitude of your transmission, how does it affect the propagation? So, because there's so much, they were putting so much power through their station. Now, they were getting more spots, right? They had more spots per day. But occasionally, we have sent signals farther than that. So, just, that's what's really incredible. And their, and their research ship has been picking up by a lot of these, a lot of your balloons. Oh, yeah. It's, as it's, well, uh, you can see that. It's funny, you can actually look at the map of all these stations and see these dots right here. This is the boat decoding the transmission and also uh, uploading its location. So you can actually see it finally made its way back. Uh, it's at the by Niermeyer and the port by Niermeyer. So that's really cool to see where now, the boat now, is. How many of the balloons actually visited the actual South Pole? The Amazon. Uh, not sure. Um, I I need to I need to uh, plot that map that I sent I you, Bill. Saw at least three come within two hundred miles, and one yeah. probably within fifty miles. Yep. And what's really great is I don't know if y'all were. I talked about the Twitter bot that I made last time to predict the balloon flights. Um, and that was spot on a lot of times. I sometimes I look at this. And I would see up here. Um, I would look at this Twitter bot and I would say, oh, this is an example. I would literally use this thing to say, if I launch on this day, I can get it over the South Pole. And it worked. I launched on that day and it would go over the South Pole. So very helpful uh, to do that. I spoke. I'm very happy. All right. Well, that's all I well, got, guys. Does you know, you know, I, I, I've got a couple questions here. We'll yeah. just throw out there. Uh, first of all, uh, I couldn't tell where it was. You know, I mean, when you look at the map on APRS, uh, you know, Bill said it's gone around uh, two or three times, and I look at it and I, I can't even tell it's gone around once because yeah, the map is so distorted down there. You know, that that I see. So 
Hey, did they uh, give you any uh, special uh, cold weather gear when you got there, or did you have to take your oh, own? Oh, yeah. I, I got a whole flight bag of, of temp packs, and of course I had to return it. Um, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of stuff. I mean, really nice equipment. Um, That's good. That I wish I could have kept. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been nice to, to you know, to bring what? back here. It looked like a very nice facility there with everything in it. Uh, hey, how was the food, man? Any particular? Delicious. You know, Del- was it- absolutely. Like, I got, when I got home, I missed it. I mean, Did I, you? I was yeah. eating better than a college student. Yeah, sure. yeah. It was really good German food. Every day, three meals a day. Chef was really nice. Knew everybody's name. Um, just incredible. Did, was, did everyone great. speak English pretty well? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are speaking German, yeah. but of course, everybody knows. Uh, right, that's right, what the Europeans, right. I think, are really good about. Well, you know, um, and I, I was just looking at this. You know, I have I, I have gone out in the woods before, uh, you know, like on a four-wheeler, and you, you, you get to where you don't see any landmarks, and then all of a sudden, you can actually get lost pretty easy. And I'm thinking, okay... Antarctica, it's just white, man. There are no roads, there are no road signs, there's no not much to see yeah. there. If you got uh, a, a distance away from your your building there, where you couldn't see it, yeah. How do you navigate? I, I would imagine the compass doesn't work very well down here. Yeah. So, um, good, great question. So, basically, it depends where you're going, right? So, if you're going to like the greenhouse or EISS, they have a lead line what you hold on to if it's like really um uh can't see in front of you um but you had to leave uh, when you were leaving the station you always had to carry with you it had a compass pointed had the programmed in the station to the compass station coordinates so ah. if you get lost you just turn this thing on you look and you say okay station's this way well okay. the compass literally so it's all gps um so we took that, and you also had to take a radio, a radio pack. Yeah. So any uh, was there any ham radio operation there at at uh, the station? Oh yeah, they have a you know a full ham shack down. There. Oh okay. Um, so the the IT person who actually saw like the computers and all that stuff, he's also he was also uh, so he was making contacts. And, uh, he also up kept, kept the whisper station running. They're doing a whisper oh, okay. station study. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they have a really good station down there. Hey, Todd, uh, I tried to contact McMurdo. I'm not sure if my email went through to them, but they were monitoring for about a week and getting a lot of good reports from McMurdo. Yeah. Station, and then that's KC4USD. And then they went back to transmit only. So I'm thinking maybe the person that was there got transferred, or maybe that COVID uh, issue popped up. But yeah, uh, I tried KC4 AAA down in South Pole, and I couldn't reach anybody down. Yeah, uh, you know, so that would have been a good receive site. But uh, McMurdo was a good uh, had a lot of great reception for at least a week, and then some reason they just went back to transmit them yeah they do I, think, have I think they there. their whole motto was to just do transmit only they weren't looking to 
see. They just wanted to see how far they could send their signals. There's some about. They had great reception when they were yeah. receiving. They I have mean, a great. It was really, really helpful. I wish they left it on, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, it was so hard trying to find a way to contact anybody on the American station. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, they had... out and that was their QSL managers. Yeah, they had COVID issues. was having COVID issues. So, Todd, did you uh, did you have any? You were hand carrying all the trackers. I I, I know you yeah. said that, you know if you lost your clothes, that's okay, but you had to get those trackers down there. So yeah. you were hand carrying all that. Did anybody um, kind of question what this stuff is? Any cusp? <laughs> or? Yeah, the um, it's funny the uh, the German going into Munich, Germany. Actually, yeah, it was only Munich, Germany. It, I actually got it through all security, got it through everything. And what I ended up getting kind of asked about was uh, not having a custom, like a like a declaring something. Yeah. And I was like. Look, man, you know, here's my paperwork. I'm going down here, Meyer. Like, it's just crackers, like, break. Let me get so that's where I was so surprised. I was like, finally there. I made it. And right when I was about to leave the airport, hey, can you clear this? I'm like, I need to clear a <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I think it's because it was in one of those fancy Pelican cases, and they were probably like, ooh, there's probably camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so, hey, yeah. you know, hey, it, it's, it's uh, been great talking to you tonight and, and hearing your story down here. I'm glad you made it back safely. And we still got balloons in the air from uh, your launch down here, so we're we're real happy about that. And I don't know how long they're going to stay up, man. I mean, we're 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 pushing a year now on one of them, and not far. Yeah. You know, I mean, these things may, is, these uh, things the can stay up. going to go uh, once it gets past spring, our spring. Uh, then it's going to be uh, a low sun angle, and in fact, uh, it'll be it'll be dark all day long during the middle of their winter, right? Meyer. Yep, and it's so. going to be polar night there. Like well, and that's day. why you know. Hey, I'm kind of glad if you look at. Let me put these on here. Let me see if I can get this on. What's here. happened to your one one your one twelve flight? So, yeah. Yeah. so here they are, right here. I mean, we. One of them, and I don't know why, and maybe you can tell me this. Uh, you, you, you know all the uh, ins and outs of the weather uh, there, but <laughs> if you notice right there on, on the bottom edge of the ice there is, is uh, that's 114, and uh, it just will not leave the ice. It just keeps staying around there. Now, the other one has, you know, it's already gone up to, um, let's see, I think, is this it over here? 113, 114. All right, it's over Australia, so it's starting to get some northern movement there. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the winter, maybe maybe it'll still transmit. I don't know. I mean, it, we're going to get some sunlight up here. Yeah, so what what happens is, actually, um, it's caught in a, a very, uh, basically, think about a low-pressure system. Um, uh -huh. And you stick that balloon in. Center, right so instead of going somewhere what it's doing is uh based on how the iso going in circles following yeah. the same iso line. so the only way that's going to exit that is if that whole pressure system moves with it. it's actually going to stay in the center and move with the pressure but i really kind of like having one stay in 
one place for yeah. because it's it's interesting because one it's great for evaluating weather models and two you're getting whisper data propagation data from one point for a long time that you wouldn't get which is really interesting yeah but it's funny that that's kind of I think that's right by McMurdo yeah it just kind of staying staying right yeah. there yeah they, they miss the and that one, uh, that one actually has that round solar cell configuration to hopefully oh, yeah. to hopefully pick up light from the horizon. It's, so yeah, I after seeing how well it's done, I'm thinking we should have put those cars. It, it well, gets down to one degree. One degree, and you get a lot of gray line propagation propagation on that one, and KM four uh, ZIA, which is K four UIH six. That one has bigger solar panels on it, and they get closer down towards, uh, you know, sunset, and we get a lot of farther propagation on those. Yeah, really cool. And it does. It follows the gray line right up to uh, the United States yeah. and Europe. All right. The 10-meter one, when, it, when it's active, it's been received all over the United States when on, you know, just imagine 20 milliwatts and 10 meters from the South Pole, and uh, it's being received in the United States. So when 10 meters is open, it's hot. Yeah. I should have done one on 15 meters and 30 meters, but I think 15 probably would have been the best copper. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to have to hop well, off in a second, guys, but uh, yeah. I want to thank you all for having me on, and I'll try to yeah, make it more fun. to the show if you all have me. Great. Yeah, this is great, Todd. Thank you for doing this. This has yeah, been man. a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank and you hey, for, hey, Todd, just uh, send me a note if you need anything, and or send me a link uh, if you, you know, put a couple of videos up on uh, uh Dropbox or something, and we'll get yeah, together. Yeah. We'll get together here. Yeah, of course. All and, right, uh, man. When you, when you go to uh, the equator to launch, let me know. I'll come down with you. <laughs> well, you're paying, Bill. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. You don't need a uh, fall weather uh, uh, low temperature gear down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah sunscreen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see y'all. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Uh, good night. Good night. All right. Well, very good. I mean, that was uh, that was interesting. And uh, hey, these things are still flying. I, I think they're going to be up a long time, so it's going to be fun to to watch them over the next months. And I'm sure Todd's going to get a lot of information as he uh, crunches the data, and uh, we're going to learn a lot of things. Uh, not too many people have launched Pico balloons from Antarctica. In fact, Bill, these were probably the first ones, weren't they? Oh yeah, these were probably the very first Pico balloons. From Antarctica. Yeah. All right. The uh, biggest activity for Pico balloons are from Argentina, from the AMSAT uh, Argentina group, and uh, uh, also Australia. Uh, those are the big, and New Zealand. Uh, those are really the hotbeds of activity. So uh, now there's more balloons flying in the uh, southern hemisphere than the northern, and that's pretty rare. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, very good.
Well, I see Katie's still with us. Alan's still with us. It's late in New Jersey. Uh, Alan, you want to do you want to do your thing today, or you want to do it uh, another week? It's up to you. Yeah, I'm, I can certainly chat about it today. Okay. Probably. All right. Here, so. Why don't we do that, and uh, we'll just move right on into the next segment. Uh, and we got just a little time left, 15 minutes or so, probably. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, like I said, I've been absent, uh, you know, during the week here because of work. But on the weekends, uh, I guess starting this summer, I got bit by two bugs. <laughs> One is a, a QRP bug. I've been operating a lot of just QRP uh, lately. But also bit by the POTA bug, or parks on the air. Uh, I don't know if any, anybody out there has uh, been operating parks and activating them or been a hunter to go out hunting for parks that are on the air, but I've been having a lot of fun activating. And uh, I guess started while I was on vacation down at uh, Long Beach Island in the Jersey Shore and uh, operated from uh, Barnegat Light uh, State Park. That was my first uh, POTA activation. I think that was, I, I posted a video back in probably August while I was on vacation from that, but um kind of got me into QRP and I got a little nuts buying QRP rigs. So my main POTA rig is the little KX2 here, which is absolutely fantastic uh, 510 watt rig. I just run it on five watts, the CW almost all the time. And then I also picked up this rig and just the retro look of this thing is just so cool. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Yeah. This is a, a Pentec uh, TR45L. It's a 80, 40, uh, 30, 20, and 17 meters, CW only, but, I mean, little retro meter there, <laughs> so which is an actual VU meter on there, which is really cool. And I got mine with the, the built-in tuner and a built-in battery, so this is kind of like a shack in the box, just like the KX2, except that it's CW only. But this thing hasn't left my bench here, because this is the rake I've been using on the bench right behind me there. So it's, I've been just doing uh, CW uh, QRP, but the POTA stuff has been really fun. Uh, experimenting with different antennas, um, and I think I've activated 39 times uh, from 12 parks. And if I can, let me just share. Actually, I'll, I'll share just a few photos real quick, just to kind of show you. Um, you know, you know this is what my put my typical POTA activation looks like. Something like this, and this is this is at Voorhees State Park up in New Jersey here. Um, I happen to pull in right at the entranceway to where the campers go, and there happened to be a table there, and it was pretty quiet. And uh, I'm not sure how much of the, the picture is coming across on video, but if you look carefully, right at the very top of the screen, an orange one, that's actually my antenna. It's a, a, a 40-meter end-fed half wave, and I've got it up on a 20-foot pole about uh, 50 feet to the right uh, from where you see in this picture. Uh, and then just a little KX2, a little set of uh, CW paddles, really nice set of paddles out of Germany by a company called Bomatech, my little logbook. And that's my typical POTA setup. So that was at Voorhees like, just a few weeks ago. Um, this is uh, this one's from the uh, northern tip of Sandy Hook uh, in New Jersey. Sandy Hook is part of the Gateway National uh, Recreation Area. If you look at New Jersey, it's got like a peanut shape. And um, if you look at the Raritan Bay, which is the bay that's between, you know, kind of that horizontal part of New Jersey and then New York to the north, um, right at the eastern edge of that, New Jersey's got a little bit of a wing that kind of sticks up like a fin, and that's that, that's actually called Sandy Hook. At the northern end of Sandy Hook is Fort Hancock, and that's where I am uh, right here. So this is actually an old armament, armament 
that was the, the ocean is just on the other side of what of the the water here, and there were all kinds of guns that were mounted here. For I just have uh, again a, a wire antenna up in the air, and a little chair that my my wife bought me for Christmas with a, a little portable table on it. So I can set that up wherever I want, put the rig on it, and I can just go operate wherever I want. So that was kind of fun. This day, I actually operated uh, three separate parks on the same day. Um, so just before I was here at uh, Sandy Hook at Fort Hancock, I was here at uh, the called the Twin Lights uh, National Park, and it's actually it's actually a twin lighthouse. You're only seeing one here, but if you mirror this image, almost you'll see the the other the other lighthouse is there, and this is on uh, uh, about the uh, about the highest peak on the eastern seaboard, uh, at least here in New Jersey anyway, and it's a kind of overlooking Sandy Hook. Uh, but this this particular building and these lighthouses were built in 1862, and uh, Marconi actually operated from here. Uh, the U.S. Navy operated from here, uh, so uh, in the early 1900s, and actually Marconi operated from here in, in like in 1901 or 1902 or something like that, or 1899 for the America's Cup race or something. Like that. So, but uh, it's got a pretty good outlook over the ocean, uh, just on the other side of the building here. But this time I just bolted a. Uh, this MP1 antenna to the bed of the train just had here. Uh, another example, this one at a, a reservoir, called Round Valley Reservoir, uh, not too far from where I live, about a half hour from where I live. And uh, again, just got a fiberglass pole in the air with a wire antenna on it and, uh, you know, made uh, you know a few dozen contacts there. Um, there's an example of, uh, that's actually from that particular park, uh, just kind of, I was able to operate. And you can almost see single hops and double hops. It was kind of spread out here. It was pretty cool. And this is all, all of this is on five watts CW with the wire antennas or that little vertical antenna. And uh, in this particular case, it was a pretty cold day. So I was sitting in the truck with the KX2 and my, my, my thing. This is uh, sitting there right by the reservoir. So this was actually pretty cool. Oh. And that, that's this, the KX2, and then the, um, the other rig sitting behind it there. But but that's what I've been having fun with. Um, and what's really cool, I don't know if, you, if anybody has not uh, done anything with, with Parks on the Air or POTA, um, just go to the POTA.app, that website. And the guys who organized this, I guess it was kind of born out of the National Parks on the Air program from, was it 2000, whatever, whatever the 100 or 150th anniversary of the National Parks program was. Uh, I guess the guys felt that that was such a fun program that they just they launched this parks on the air which is not just national parks it's basically national parks and state parks for the most part but they're all kind of logged onto this uh, website and you can go on there and you can see who's active you know who's, who's operating where when you when you get active you can spot yourself so the hunters can go and find you and it's just a fun way of getting up on the air and making a bunch of uh, very low pressure very low key no contesting aspect to it and it's just, uh, I find it's actually helped uh, build my CW skills because the exchange is typically just call sign, signal report, and the state that you're in. But since most of what you're copying is call sign, you've got to be good at really uh, the letters instead of just trying to figure out, you know, the words from context and things like that. So, so it's really helped my CW journey as well. But just having a ton of fun with it. Um, like I said, I think I've done... Uh, I've done 39 activations so far in 12 different parks, 
Um, and uh, usually it's a weekend activity. Most of the time I'm, acti I'm, I'm activating for about an hour, uh, maybe an hour and a half, two hours if I'm lucky. Um, but, uh, you know, making a couple of dozen contacts here and there. But it's just, it's just a ton of fun. Just a great program. But again, I've, I've kind of gotten bitten by the bug. <laughs> so, uh, and my wife has been very supportive. I mean, she, she bought the, she had this little flag made for me with parks on the air. I can see a good picture of it there. Uh, she bought the, the chair for me here and, uh, and, and is not, uh, grimacing when I spend money on the radios and things like that. Uh, antenna wise, I've, I've basically just built a couple of NFED half wave, uh, wire antennas that have worked great. Um, and then I've got an old, uh, a, a vertical antenna called an MP1 or from a company called Super Antenna, which looks like a like a screwdriver antenna, except you just manually adjust the, the coil on it to get the um, the band that you want to operate on. So depending on where I'm going, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll and what I've got around me will determine what antenna I put up. I've even kind of left a little early for an appointment. Like I had to drive down to Maryland for work. I'll leave about an hour early. And then just before I cross over the Delaware River to get into Delaware, about half a mile off of the Jersey Turnpike, there's a, a park that's part of the system. And if I leave an hour early, I can hop off there, throw the antenna up, spend a half an hour making contacts, throw it back in the car, get back down, and still make my appointment. And nobody's got to know. <laughs> still on company time. So, but, uh, yeah, so it's a little bit of an addiction, but uh, it's, it's been a fun one. So anyway, I encourage you, if you haven't uh, played around with POTA at all, you know, take a listen out for the guys that are operating there, maybe hunt them and give them some, give them some contact and even consider getting out setting up somewhere and operating. It's just, it's a lot of fun just to think that you can throw a wire up on a pole or in a tree and with five watts, just start making contacts all over the country and around the world if you do it at the right time. But it's been a lot of fun. It looked a little cold on one of those ops that you did there. You had the ice on the ground. Yeah, the when I yeah when I was operating here at um, this is at Round Valley, it was probably in the it was probably in the twenties, uh, so that's just why I was operating from uh, you know kind of inside the truck here, <laughs> so from a nice warm <laughs> spot. It was because uh, it was a little bit uh, it was a little chilly that day, uh, but it all depends. I've got I got a set of gloves that I've cut the fingertips out of, so I can operate when I'm, if it's if it's in the thirties or below, I'll generally try to operate from inside the car if I can. Um, but, uh, I did, an, I did another activation, uh, in Connecticut, uh, about, uh, six, eight weeks ago, I was, I had to drive up, I was up going up to Massachusetts. It was another one of these deals that there was a park that was literally right off of the interstate, uh, highway that I was going on and, you know, through, I was traveling through Connecticut. So I stopped off and I, you know, there was about six inches of snow on the ground and the, the roads into the park weren't paved. So I only pulled about a 10th of a mile into the park. I wasn't sure, you know, because it wasn't paved or anything, and it wasn't plowed. But just just to get enough, you know, away from the road and put an antenna up, and just the worst part about that one, I had these fiberglass poles that slipped together, and I pulled them all out of the car, and I rested them on the ground, and I slipped them together, put my wire antenna on it, and I, I bungee corded the poles to uh, to some something that was standing up out of the ground, and made all my contacts, and had a good time, and I uh, said, so, okay, I got to get back on the road, um, so I went out, pulled the pole down. And it turns out I had laid the poles down in the snow after I pulled them out of the warm car and put them together. So when they were sitting up in the air for an hour, they froze. So I had 25 feet of fiberglass pole that all the sections were frozen together. 
crap, I got to get on the road. <laughs> so so I, was, I had this pole, I took the antenna off, and I was, I was whacking it against the side of a tree to break the ice so I could pull the sections apart and get them back in the car. So lesson learned, don't lay your poles down in the snow <laughs> when you're going to do these things. But uh, these are the things, these are the, the fun things that you learn and when you're out uh, playing with this stuff. But, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I just said, uh, you know, bitten by the bug here. Maybe it's not for everybody, but I'm certainly having a lot. I like the good use you did of that cutting board there, little table. Well, it's actually, that's another Christmas present from my wife. She uh, she actually found that it's actually purpose-made that way. I mean, I could have made one myself probably, but this was probably nicer than one that I would have made. So it's, it's, it's interesting. On this side, it only has, it has a groove down here for a pen or pencil, so it's designed to put a laptop or a tablet or something like, or, you know, something like that on. Then if you flip it over, the other side has got a little bit larger cutout and a like a circular cutout. For you know, for if you want to set up food, put your drink, that kind of stuff, so it doesn't slide off. So, so it, it works pretty well. So uh, I've used it in the truck, and I've got it uh, sitting in my company car right now, in case I ever need to use it there. But uh, it, it's uh, you know, because the truck's got a pretty good armrest that folds down that I can put everything on as well. But I wanted to give the the board that's made and run here with the, during the, the Christmas break. So that's what that. Was. Cool. It really does. That's such a great idea. You know, you think about all the people like you who travel regularly for work, and it's a great way to, you have to make a pit stop or do something, but I can see people for POTA use something like that. If they haven't already, they yeah. sure spread, because that is wonderful. That and, and this, this chair. That chair that your wife got you, that thing is awesome. Yeah, it's just, it folds up flat, and it only weighs about 8 or 9 pounds, no, 10 pounds maybe. And then the, the, the little folding table kind of folds off flat if you don't want to use it, but it's a perfect size for a little rig. You know the the set of paddles, and I usually put the the my little logging paper there because I logged everything on paper. And I use an app on the phone called Ham RS, H A M R S, to do the logging because that can create the 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 file to upload right to the POTA site when I'm done. So I'll usually have the phone sitting right there too. And uh, so if anybody ever works me on POTA, they they they'll recognize the fact that once I finish working somebody, if someone calls me right away. I don't answer right away because I'm busy logging into my phone. And then I have to go find it. Hopefully, they'll still there when I get back, when I finish logging the phone to have them come pick me up. But uh, but it's, uh, you know, again, having a lot of fun with it. And uh, like I said, I am I still consider myself uh, you know, newbie to intermediate on CW, so it's really helped in my journey on that. All right. It's Thank great you. when you've been doing ham radio for a long time and you find something new and yeah, I said I, I was li licensed originally in 1980, so it's been over 40 years that I've been playing with ham radio, and uh, you know, it's only the last four or five years that I gotten into CW, and now the last six months playing with POTA and QRP for the most part. So uh, it's you know, it, it's a it's that's a great thing about this hobby. There's so many aspects to it. You can kind of move from one aspect to the next, and there's always something new to try. All right. Well, hey, uh, we are coming close to the end of the show here, but there's somebody here that has some questions in the chat room for okay. the experts. So let's let him uh, let, let him post it there, and we'll ask the experts the answer. I say, if he's looking for experts, he picked the wrong night. Oh, wrong about show. spectrum. Okay, here we go. Now, now, <laughs> now, Alan can answer this. Uh, it's about spectrum analyzers. I was told that you should not use an attenuator when connecting a radio to one because it hides signals. Well, uh, the answer to that is that the, 
the main thing to be careful of is to not drive too much power into um, the, the front end of a spectrum analyzer. There's a, a mixer at the front end that is the most one of the most expensive things to and uh, to fix if you damage it. Uh, so you really have to be really careful about what input power you're putting into. What I typically will use is some kind of an RF sniffer. Uh, I did a video on that. Um, you know, and you can you can make them. You can actually just twist a little piece of wire around your coax. You'll pick up enough. Um, and then once you've got that signal in there, then just adjust the reference level appropriately in the spectrum analyzer to bring the, your intended signal up close to the top of the screen. And by adjusting the reference level to optimize for that signal, you'll then uncover you know, signals in the, in the noise floor. So because what happens when you adjust the reference level in a spectrum analyzer, you're adjusting not only, um, you know, the, maybe the gain through the IF stages, but you're also uh, adjusting a front-end attenuation value. And if you if that attenuator is dialed up too high, the noise for the analyzer looks higher than it could be as, as if you if you dropped it down. Um, so um, you really need to, uh, you, you want to put an attenuated signal into the analyzer. If you're transmitting 100 watts or 1,000 watts or something like that, or even 5 watts, that's too much power for just about any spectrum analyzer. Just to, You just can't hook directly into it. Just don't do that. So you go into a dummy load, use a, you know, use a and usually, like I said, an RF, an RF splitter or an RF sniffer or an RF tap or RF sampler. These are all different names for the same type of a thing. Uh, you would use that to pick off a small signal. Spectrum analyzers have a tremendous amount of sensitivity, so they don't need to be fed with the full power of your of your radio. And uh, so you can feed them with just a few milliwatts of power or less. So you can atten the signal can be greatly attenuated. So you can don't worry about picking up with a, a little RF sampler that's got a lot of attenuation or a directional coupler or even a, an auxiliary antenna, a little stick, you know, a little whip antenna sitting on the front of the analyzer. All that's great. There, you're not you're not going to find a spectrum analyzer that can take 100 watts. You know the most that you might get is you know plus 20 or plus 30 dBm. You know which uh, at, at most is a watt. But the, you still don't want to do that. You, you know you really want to kind of keep that power level going into the analyzer down because even though the analy analyzer might say it can take you know plus 20 or plus 30 dBm, you know if you have if you mistakenly set the reference level of the analyzer to a very low value where the attenuator is taken out. And you hit it with a high power, you can still do some damage. So you really want to just just use a, a, an RF sampler or, or some kind of a, an RF tap. And I've got a video on that on my on my YouTube channel about different ways you can either build or buy these the RF samplers. And even though the the signal coming out of that sampler might be minus twenty, minus thirty dBm, the analyzer can be adjusted to see that and still not hide anything. So don't worry about uh, you know losing things. You just want to adjust the reference level. To optimize for that signal level that you've got going, so, but you know, as W W A two T O W David said, best to keep it zero dBm or lower. That's actually a really good uh, thing. A milliwatt is not going to cause damage to anything, uh, so uh, zero dBm is a good reference point to say my, my signal I've got coming out of my sampler is greater than zero dBm. Either adjust the sampler or throw an attenuator in series with it. Uh, it's just a good safe level. To all right.
Well, you can easily blow up the uh, spectrum analyzer if you, you know. Uh, I got a new one, uh, Alan. You know, I got a new, what is it, Rico, Rico, and Rico, I think yeah. uh, I think 20, 20 to thirty dBm is the max on it for sure. I and yeah. I've got plenty of attenuators that I bought for it to uh, to yeah. protect it there. Uh, using using a sampler or a tap, you're almost always going to be safe. You know, a resistor divider. One of the things that I'll do sometimes is. Um, on the back of the tuner, I've got right, uh, let's see, we're over here, one of these. I can't, I'm looking at, there it is, right there. That tuner right there, it's got a couple of antenna ports on it, and there's a port that I don't use, I don't have an antenna connected to, so I'll connect that up to the analyzer. Now, I don't switch the radio to that port, all right? Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that it's got some wires going inside the box, when I'm connecting to another antenna port, it's picking up enough RF, that it's getting it's sufficient to drive the the analyzer or the scope or whatever i've got it going into and it's not going to it picks up you know less than a milliwatt of power it's just a little a short little piece of wire going into the switch so it's like a little pickup antenna sitting inside this box so just as long as i don't switch the transmitter directly to that port i'm using any of the others it works just fine yeah so i don't there's think ways go ahead yeah I, I was gonna say i don't think there'd be any case where you'd want to run 100 watts or anything like that you know yeah. i i uh I mean, being able to look at the spectrum, at, at the, all the different harmonics and stuff, you might be trying to, you know, suppress harmonics or whatever. That's very helpful. But, you know, on the little tracker that we build here, I, I, I am using the power measurement capability of the spectrum analyzer, but I'm, <laughs> I'm talking 10 milliwatts here, you know, total. Right, right. Yeah, you can throw a, a 10 dB attenuator or something yeah. or 20 dB attenuator in front of that and account for that in the analyzer. And most of the analyzers have a means to account for an external attenuator that you put in line. So if you if you know you put a 10 dB attenuator in line, you can tell the you know, the vertical scale of the analyzer that, hey, I've attenuated the signal by 10 dB, and it'll take that out so the readings are what you would actually see on the other side of the attenuator. Right. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and close down a show. Uh, we've been going now for about two hours since uh, we started our pre-show and uh, we're gonna go ahead and shut down for the night I'm gonna get me uh, some popcorn or something it's getting late for Alan it's his bedtime <laughs> you know yeah and, and Taft is asking a direct question yeah. here so I'm going to just answer it directly and that's that no your attenuator is not gonna hide anything it's all proportional if it's hiding yeah. anything that means you're probably out of the bandwidth capability of your spectrum analyzer yeah, or or if you if you got a signal with some some harmonic content that are, that are thirty or forty or fifty dB down, and you throw an attenuator attenuator on it, it might drop those signals down below the noise floor, which means right. it would hide them. But that means that you probably didn't need the attenuator in the first place, or you make the analyzer more sensitive by reducing the reference level, and that'll bring those signals back up from the noise floor again. So unlike an oscilloscope where the signals every always centered around the center of the screen. The spectrum analyzer is most accurate with the signal at the reference level, which is the top of the screen. Good. That, that's also going to maximize your, your visible dynamic range. All right. Katie, thanks for sticking yes. in there with us. Katie, get any last words? You want to say anything? No, sorry for coughing on the air. If you, but <laughs> no, that right. was this was fun. It was great to catch up. I really enjoyed the pictures from Antarctica and hearing about yeah. Alan's adventure. Oda. So looking forward to upcoming shows.
Okay, we'll very good. Soon. And we'll see. I, I, I know you got a lot of things going on. Uh, and, and just take care of yourself and the family there and uh, just join us when you can. I plan to do it as often right. as I can. All right. Good night to you. And Glenn, any last words, Glenn? No, I'm good. You can see behind me, these are the notes I was talking about oh, earlier. Let me see. Let me put those on there so I can see your notes. Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to stop this. You're, you're, you're just, I don't know. You're going to never get to do any Hammond if you just keep doing this. Oh, no. No, the rigs are going on the shelf probably sometime this week, and the connection gets started. But, yeah, this is the pile of notes for the next book that I'm putting together. And this is only about half of what I'm All planning right, to do. man. Well, let me just take, make one last comment, guys. We In the next few weeks, we're going to be doing some shows on satellite operation. And, uh, you know, I use a computer program over there. It's called SATPC32. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, SAT, S-A-T, is a device here. This is a self-contained. This has all the satellites in it. It controls your rotor. It, uh, it, it does everything, man. You don't even have to set any ports up to your PC. This, you just don't have to. We're going to be hooking this up in this uh, this week with another ham friend of mine from here in Memphis that's very heavy into, into satellites. We're going to be hooking this up, evaluating it, making some videos. And I'm, I think I'm going to go ahead and order the Yezu G5500 rotor. See, right now I've got two rotors. I've got an azimuth rotor and I've got an elevation rotor that I have to manually turn. So this thing here, we'll plug the DIN plug in, plug it into the G5500. 500 and it will actually steer the antenna automatically and keep it on the satellite you don't even have to touch it so i think i'm going to go ahead and get one of the uh one of those rotors on order probably have now, it wait a in minute. the next couple are you weeks. talking about the controller or the rotator I, itself i'm talking about the whole rotor controller okay. yeah because i've got a 5400 controller up on a shelf in here that you can borrow and it should interface to those motors you've got well i think i'm just going to go simple Okay. You know, get the whole whole uh, shooting match there, and he's got an excuse to go spend the money. Let him go. I was just going to say, yeah, that you know, break out your credit card because that one's going to cost a pretty penny. Well, well, let's see who who is that? Bill Bill's calling back in, and the show is over. But Bill's calling in. I'm gonna have to give him a demerit for that. Oh uh, no, his internet dropped because mine dropped yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean it, it, it is expensive, but um, I've I've got some things I can work out where we can we can actually bring the cost down. I think so. We'll work on that. All right. Good night, everybody. Hey, if you're out there listening on WBCQ and shortwave, we're glad to have you tonight. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show about ham radio. We're glad you're with us. Shoot us an email to Tom at w5kub.com. Love to hear from you. Uh, uh, Hey, join our Facebook group. It's called W5KUB. Join that. And uh, if you want to join the show live, it's on Tuesday nights uh, at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to W5KUB.com. So good night to everybody, and we will see you later. Uh, enjoy being with everybody tonight, and we're so glad Katie is back with us and doing well. Take me through, everybody. Hi. Let's see. You yeah. know, I, I, I was going to go, uh, somebody was talking about the snow. I was going to go snow tonight, but I didn't do it. You know? <laughs> right. I'll see you guys later. All right. Hey, we'll see you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Glad, glad you're back. Thanks. Yep.
All right. All right. I just spent uh, 30 minutes trying to get back on. My internet went out. Yeah, right? mine dropped twice during the show when uh, Todd was talking. So it might be something going on with the... With Zoom? I don't yeah. know. I couldn't get back on, and then I noticed the internet was out. and So I'm back on my phone, but my main internet's still out. It's very flaky out here. So those of you with gigabit, super high-speed fiber, enjoy it. <laughs> no, I've got 